section thirty three of heroines of fiction by william dean howells this librivox recording is in the public domain mr thomas hardy's bathsheba everdeen and paula power each great novelist arrives at rather than with his own way of looking at life when he begins to make himself known to us he is not himself alone but the masters also who have gone before him and who gradually leave him to himself as he shows more and more his ultimate power all this which is true of all novelists is less true of mr hardy than almost any other he seemed to come from nowhere in literature to be without preoccupations or affinities the effect perhaps of his training in an art which is one of the most objective and the farthest in its immemorial simplicities from the manifold consciousnesses of the literary art before he was a novelist he was an architect and what clung to him from tradition or association was not some other man's literary method or manner but the habit of thinking as it were in plastic terms and of using words structurally to be sure when he first attracted criticism people thought him like george eliot but it seems to me that this was a mistaken impression from their both dealing so largely with rustic life the spirit of their respective dealing with it was not at all the same and i do not think that mr hardy's way of looking at life of any level is like the way of any novelist before him as nearly as i can put it to myself it is the vision of humanity as little as possibly affected by those influences from without religious and moral which we anxiously enough mistake for impulses it is the sense of dusting unsick which we so rarely have had that we might say we never had it before this is the first impression we have of life as mr hardy shows it but then we begin to perceive very gradually but at last fully how this primitive material is affected by experience when the experience is vital as most experience is not and how it loses its original simplicity through experience and becomes a living soul a vast number of the men and women in his novels never reach this development but remain a part of mere nature like the cattle and poultry the trees the soil they are delightful company just as these animate and inanimate things are they are souls and doubtless will live hereafter but they are not living souls here and now they are like sheep and goats that nourish a blind life within the brain sometimes mr hardy's people pass through tremendous experiences and seem very little the more alive for them a beautiful perhaps a supreme effort of his art is that his characters are in the last extreme of discovery impalpably veiled from your knowledge as people are whom you know best in the waking and working world something is still kept back possibly for the final intimacies of another state of being one do we ever come thoroughly to know bathsheba everdeen in far from the madding crowd no more i fancy than if we were of her most familiar acquaintance 
we understand the workings of her mind and feel their charm but that ultimate reason of her being for which imagination aches in vain is the secret which is kept from the author himself he is the greater power because of the reservation if he could and would tell all he would not be the master he is and perhaps if he could explain her as exhaustively as we wish she would not be a woman our mystification which continues to the end begins with the first glimpses of bathsheba which we share with her lover gabriel oak the sluggish day began to break he heard the steps of a horse at the foot of the hill and soon there appeared in view an auburn pony with a girl on its back ascending by the path leading past the cattle shed here he ensconced himself and peeped through the loophole in the direction of the rider's approach she came up and looked around then on the other side of the hedge the path after passing the cowshed bisected the plantation it was not a bridle path merely a pedestrian track and the boughs spread horizontally at a height not greater than seven feet above the ground which made it impossible to ride erect beneath them the girl who wore no riding habit looked around for a moment as if to assure herself that all humanity was out of view then dexterously dropped backwards flat upon the pony's back her head over its tail her feet against its shoulder and her eyes to the sky the rapidity of her glide into this position was that of a kingfisher its noiselessness that of a hawk gabriel's eyes had scarcely been able to follow her the tall lank pony seemed used to such phenomena and ambled along unconcerned thus she passed under the level boughs she had no side saddle and it was very apparent that a firm seat upon the smooth leather beneath her was unattainable sideways springing to her accustomed perpendicular like a bowed sapling she seated herself in the manner demanded by the saddle though hardly expected of the woman an hour passed the girl returned properly seated now with a bag of bran in front of her on nearing the cattle shed she was met by a boy bringing a milking pail who held the reins of the pony while she slid off the boy led away the horse leaving the pail with the young woman soon soft spurts alternating with loud spurts came in regular succession from within the shed they were the sounds of a person milking a cow gabriel took the lost hat in his hand and waited beside the path she would follow in leaving the hill she came the pail in one hand hanging against her knee the left arm was extended as a balance enough of it being shown bare to make oak wish that the event had happened in summer when the whole would have been revealed she seemed tall but the pail was a small one and the hedge diminutive hence making allowance for error by comparison with these she could have been not above the height to be chosen by women as best all features of consequence were severe and regular from the contours of her figure in its upper part she must have had a beautiful neck and shoulders but since her infancy nobody had ever seen them had she been put into a low dress she would have run and thrust her head into a bush 
yet she was not a shy girl by any means it was merely her instinct to draw the line dividing the seen from the unseen higher than they do in towns it is bathsheba whom we have seen here and whose story agrees with his i shall not tell bathsheba over again or do more than remind the reader that she does not marry the good gabriel oak till after she has married the unworthy sergeant troy whom her mad lover boldwood kills and so releases her to her right destiny with oak she is a girl of great good sense as well as beauty and of that practical turn of mind which goes with prettiness rather oftener than with plainness she has inherited a farm from her uncle and having been cheated by her manager she decides to manage it herself there is a delightful prospect of this side of bathsheba's character in the scene which passes between her and the farm servants to whom she makes her purpose known half an hour later bathsheba in finished dress and followed by liddy entered the upper end of the old hall to find that her men had all deposited themselves on a long form and a settle at the lower extremity she sat down at a table and opened the time-book pen in her hand with a canvas money-bag beside her from this she poured a small heap of coin liddy took up a position at her elbow and began to sew sometimes pausing and looking round or with the air of a privileged person taking up one of the half-sovereigns lying before her and admiringly surveying it as a work of art merely strictly preventing her countenance from expressing any wish to possess it as money now before i begin men said bathsheba i have two matters to speak of the first is that the bailiff is dismissed for thieving and that i have formed a resolution to have no bailiff at all but to manage everything with my own head and hands the men breathed an audible breath of amazement yes sir ma'am i mane said the person addressed i am the personal name of poor grass who is nothing in my own eye in the eye of other people well i don't say it though public thought will out what do you do on the farm i does carting things all the year and in seed time i shoots the rooks and sparrows and helps at pig killing sir how much to you please nine and nine pence and a good halfpenny where twas a bad one sir ma'am i mane quite correct now here are ten shillings in addition as a small present as i am a newcomer bathsheba blushed slightly at the sense of being generous in public and henry frey who had drawn up towards her chair lifted his eyebrows and fingers to express amazement on a small scale how much do i owe you that man in the corner what's your name continued bathsheba matthew moon ma'am said a singular framework of clothes with nothing of any consequence inside them which advanced with the toes in no definite direction forwards but turned in or out as they chanced to swing matthew mark did you say speak out i shall not hurt you inquired the young farmer kindly matthew moon ma'am said henry frey correctingly from behind her chair to which point he had edged himself matthew moon murmured bathsheba turning her bright eyes to the book ten and tuppence halfpenny is the sum put down to you i see 
yes missus said matthew as the rustle of wind among dead leaves here it is and ten shillings now the next andrew randall you are a new man i hear how came you to leave your last farm please ma'am please ma'am please em please em andrew randall here's yours finish thanking me in a day or two now the next laban tall you'll stay on working for me for you or anybody that pays me well ma'am replied the young married man true the man must live said a woman in the back quarter who had just entered with clicking pattens what woman is that bathsheba asked i be his lawful wife continued the voice with greater prominence of manner and tone oh you are said bathsheba well laban will you stay on yes he'll stay ma'am said again the shrill tongue of laban's lawful wife the names remaining were called in the same manner now i think i've done with you said bathsheba closing the book and shaking back a stray twine of hair no ma'am the new shepherd will want a man under him suggested henry frey trying to make himself official again by a sideway approach towards her chair oh he will who can he have young cane ball is a very good lad henry said and shepherd oak don't mind his youth he added turning with an apologetic smile to the shepherd who had just appeared on the scene and was now leaning against the door-post with his arms folded oh i don't mind that said gabriel how did cain come by such a name asked bathsheba oh you see mem his poor mother not being a scripture read woman made a mistake at his christening thinking twas abel kill cain and called him cain meaning abel all the time the parson put it right but twas too late for the name could never be got rid of in the parish tis very unfortunate for the boy very well then caney ball to be under shepherd and you quite understand your duties you i mean gabriel oak quite well i thank you miss everdeen said shepherd oak from the doorpost if i don't i'll inquire gabriel was rather staggered by the remarkable coolness of her manner certainly nobody without previous information would have dreamt that oak and the handsome woman before whom he stood had ever been other than strangers she then rose but before retiring addressed a few words to them with a pretty dignity to which her morning dress added a soberness that was hardly to be found in the words themselves now mind you have a mistress instead of a master i don't yet know my powers or my talents in farming but i shall do my best and if you serve me well so shall i serve you don't any unfair ones among you if there are any such but i hope not suppose that because i'm a woman i don't understand the difference between bad goings-on and good and so good-night all good-night ma'am then this small thesmothete stepped from the table and surged out of the hall her black silk dress licking up a few straws and dragging them along with a scratching noise upon the floor lydia elevating her feelings to the occasion from a sense of grandeur floated off behind bathsheba with a milder dignity not entirely free from travesty and the door was closed this is bathsheba when her head is at work and her common sense another perspective of her when her heart is at work and her uncommon feeling is not edifying but it is doubtless as faithful it is that famous scene of sergeant troy 
showing bathsheba the broadsword exercise at eight o'clock this midsummer evening whilst the bristling ball of gold in the west still swept the tips of the ferns with its long luxuriant rays a soft brushing by of garments might have been heard among them and bathsheba appeared in their midst their soft feathery arms caressing her up to her shoulders now said troy producing the sword which as he raised it into the sunlight gleamed a sort of greeting like a living thing first we have four right and four left cuts four right and four left thrusts infantry cuts and guards are more interesting than ours to my mind but they are not so swashing they have seven cuts and three thrusts now i'll be more interesting and let you see some loose play giving all the cuts and points infantry and cavalry quicker than lightning and as promiscuously with just enough rule to regulate instinct and yet not to fetter it you are my antagonist with this difference from real warfare that i shall miss you every time by one hair's breadth or perhaps two mind you don't flinch whatever you do i'll be sure not to she said invincibly he pointed to about a yard in front of him bathsheba's adventurous spirit was beginning to find some grains of relish in these highly novel proceedings she took up her position as directed facing troy now just to learn whether you have pluck enough to let me do what i wish i'll give you a preliminary test he flourished the sword by way of introduction number two and the next thing of which she was conscious was that the point and blade of the sword were darting with a gleam towards her left side just above her hip then of their reappearance on her right side having apparently passed through her body the third item of consciousness was that of seeing the same sword perfectly clean and free from blood held vertically in troy's hand in the position technically called recover swords all was as quick as electricity oh she cried out in a fright pressing her hand to her side have you run me through no you have not whatever have you done i have not touched you said troy quietly it was mere sleight of hand the sword passed behind you now you are not afraid are you because if you are i can't perform i give my word that i will not only not hurt you but not once touch you i don't think i am afraid you are quite sure you will not hurt me oh no only stand as still as a statue now in an instant the atmosphere was transformed to bathsheba's eyes beams of light caught from the low sun's rays above around in front of her well nigh shut out earth and heaven all emitted in the marvellous evolutions of troy's reflecting blade which seemed everywhere at once and yet nowhere specially these circling gleams were accompanied by a keen rush that was almost a whistling also springing from all sides of her at once in short she was enclosed in a firmament of light and of sharp hisses resembling a skyfall of meteors close at hand it may safely be asserted with respect to the closeness of his cuts that had it been possible for the edge of the sword to leave in the air a permanent substance wherever it flew past the space left untouched would have been a complete mould of bathsheba's figure the hissing of the sword had ceased and he stopped entirely that outer loose lock of hair once tidying he said before she had moved or spoken wait i'll do it for you an arc of silver shone on her right side the sword had descended the lock dropped to the ground bravely borne said troy you didn't flinch a shade's thickness 
wonderful in a woman it was because i didn't expect it oh you have spoilt my hair only once more no no i am afraid of you indeed i am she cried but how could you chop off a curl of my hair with a sword that has no edge no edge this sword will shave like a razor look here he touched the palm of his hand with the blade and then lifting it showed her a thin shaving of scarf skin dangling therefrom two the first glimpse of paula power in the laodicean suggests a character as vividly as the first glimpse of bathsheba and gives us the sense of a heroine as thoroughly hardy-esque though she is of such a different tradition and position it is not in the cool sequestered vale of life that paula power keeps the tenor of her way but in the midst of worldly interests and ambitions which beset her as the heiress of a self-made father who has made a great deal of money in the process of making himself he has left her in possession of de stancy castle where she lives with a daughter of the ancient house as her companion and friend and in charge of a baptist chapel which he built and bestowed on the congregation to which he belonged it is from filial piety rather than the other sort that paula has brought herself to the point of being baptized into this church for her ecclesiastical affiliations as a young lady of wealth culture and fashion or potential fashion would not otherwise have been with this unpicturesque and unworldly sect of dissenters she is presented to the reader in the moment of attempting to fulfil her pious duty and i think any reader will agree with me that her introduction is not less spectacular and impressive than that of bathsheba everdeen though the circumstances are altogether so different as in the case of bathsheba we share the vision of the heroine with her lover though now it is no such single nature as the shepherd oak but the complex personality not less sincere of the young architect somerset that is concerned somerset is down from london on a sketching excursion and has looked into the chapel at the close of a summer's day because he has happened to hear that there is to be a baptism in that strikingly ugly edifice he gazed into the lighted chapel made what had been an evening scene when he looked away from the landscape night itself on looking back but he could see enough to discover that a broom had driven up to the side door used by the young water-bearers and that a lady in white and black half-mourning was in the act of alighting followed by what appeared to be a waiting woman carrying wraps they entered the vestry room of the chapel and the door was shut the service went on as before till at a certain moment the door between vestry and chapel was opened when a woman came out clothed in an ample robe of flowing white which descended to her feet she was rather tall than otherwise and the contour of her head and shoulders denoted a girl in the heyday of youth and activity his imagination stimulated by this beginning set about filling in the meagre outline with most attractive details she stood upon the brink of the pool and the minister descended the steps at its edge till the soles of his shoes were moistened with the water he turned to the young candidate but she did not follow him instead of doing so she remained rigid as a stone he stretched out his hand but she still showed reluctance till with some embarrassment he went back and spoke softly in her ear afterwards saying in a voice audible to all who were near you will descend she approached the edge looked into the water and gently turned away 
somerset could for the first time see her face the total dissimilarity between the expression of her lineaments and that of the countenances around her was not a little surprising and was productive of hypotheses without measure as to how she came there she was in fact emphatically a modern type of maidenhood and she looked ultra-modern by reason of her environment a presumably sophisticated being among the simple ones not wickedly so but one who knew life fairly well for her age and you refuse said the astonished minister as she still stood immovable on the brink of the pool he added to the force of his pleading by persuasively taking her sleeve between his finger and thumb as if to draw her but she resented this by a quick movement of displeasure and he released her seeing that he had gone too far but my dear lady he whispered you promised consider your profession and that you stand in the eyes of the whole church as an exemplar of your faith i cannot help it she said trying to get away you came here with the intention to fulfil the word but i was mistaken then why did you come she tacitly implied that to be a question she did not care to answer please say no more to me i can wait no longer she murmured and hastened to withdraw but the minister was not without insight and he had seen that it would be useless to say more the crestfallen old man had to turn round upon the congregation and declare officially that the baptism was postponed she passed through the door into the vestry his face had a severe and even denunciatory look as he gave out his text and somerset began to understand that this meant mischief to the person who had caused the hitch the sermon straightway began and went on and it was soon apparent that the commentary was to be no less forcible than the text it was also apparent that the words were virtually not directed forward in the line in which they were uttered but through the chink of the vestry door that had stood slightly ajar since the exit of the young lady at this moment there was not in the whole chapel a person whose imagination was not centred on what was invisibly taking place within the vestry door the thunder of the minister's eloquence echoed of course through the sisters cavern of retreat no less than round the public assembly what she was doing inside there whether listening contritely or haughtily hastening to get away from the chapel and all it contained was obviously the thought of each member the sermon ended the minister wiped his streaming face and turned down his cuffs and nods and sagacious glances went round for somerset there was but one scene the imagined scene of the girl herself as she sat alone in the vestry the fervent congregation rose to sing again and then somerset heard a slight noise on his left hand which caused him to turn his head the broom which had retired into the field to wait was back again at the door the subject of his rumination came out from the chapel not in her mystic robe of white but dressed in ordinary fashionable costume followed as before by the attendant with other articles of clothing on her arm including the white gown somerset fancied that the younger woman was drying her eyes with her handkerchief but there was not much time to see they quickly entered the carriage and it moved on then a cat suddenly mewed and he saw a white persian standing forlorn where the carriage had been the door was opened the cat taken in and the carriage rolled away three 
i feel a kind of defeat in my efforts to impart a conception of mr hardy's heroines by the quotation of this or that passage they live so much more in what they think and feel and say than in what they do that no scene or incident can do them justice as a scene or incident might in the case of charles reed's heroines for instance many scenes many incidents in which the hardy heroines figure remain vivid in the mind but if taken from the context they do not tell the story as one would think this may happen because the psychological texture of the story is as close and strong as the sociological texture is loose and slight i have already intimated my sense of the unimportance of this in mr hardy's fiction as compared with the recognition of the deeper relations of human beings we scarcely think of his people as of this calling or that station at all after the first moment and even in making their acquaintance we do not concern ourselves with the part attributed to them in society we often wholly forget it though we never lose the sense of their intense reality if any one will contrast the sense of life imparted by a novel of trollope say with that given by a novel of mr hardy i believe he will get my meaning these masters are of the same sincerity and veracity but trollope reaches man through society and mr hardy finds him in nature there is a great deal of society in the laodicean people do things in the forms and customs that constitute the history of everyday life but through the stream of these little ordinary events pulses the current of poetry and passion and bears the lovers along in a splendid isolation from the events pressing upon them from all sides for instance but like all the other instances this will be imperfect paula has been giving a sort of garden party at de stancy castle which somerset as her architect is restoring in parts and they have been dancing in the marquee with paula's guests just before a shower breaks upon it the dance was over and he had retired with paula to the back of the tent when another faint flash of lightning was visible through an opening she lifted the canvas and looked out somerset looking out behind her another dance was begun and being on this account left out of notice somerset did not hasten to leave paula's side i think they begin to feel the heat she said a little ventilation would do no harm he flung back the tent door where he stood and the light shone out upon the grass i must go to the drawing-room soon she added they will begin to leave shortly it is not late the thunder-cloud has made it seem dark see there a line of pale yellow stretches along the horizon from west to north that's evening not gone yet shall we go into the fresh air for a minute she seemed to signify assent and he stepped off the tent floor upon the ground she stepped off also the air out of doors had not cooled and without definitely choosing a direction they found themselves approaching a little wooden tea-house that stood on the lawn a few yards off arrived here they turned and regarded the tent they had just left and listened to the strains that came from within it i feel more at ease now said paula so do i said somerset i mean she added in an undeceiving tone because i saw mrs goodman enter the tent again just as we came out here so i have no further responsibility i meant something quite different try to guess what she teasingly demurred finally breaking the silence by saying the rain has come at last as great drops began to fall upon the ground with a smack like pellets of clay in a moment the storm poured down with sudden violence and they drew further back into the summer-house the side of the tent from which they had emerged still remained open the rain streaming down between their eyes 
and the lighted interior of the marquee like a tissue of glass threads the brilliant forms of the dancers passing and repassing behind the watery screen as if they were people in an enchanted submarine palace how happy they are said paula they don't even know that it is raining i am so glad that my aunt had the tent lined otherwise such a downpour would have gone clean through it the thunderstorm showed no symptoms of abatement and the music and dancing went on more merrily than ever we cannot go in said somerset and we cannot shout for umbrellas we will stay here till it is over will we not yes she said if you care to ah what is it only a big drop came upon my head let us stand further in her hand was hanging by her side and somerset's was close by he took it and she did not draw it away thus they stood a long while the rain hissing down upon the grass plot and not a soul being visible outside the dancing tent save themselves may i call you paula asked he yes occasionally she murmured dear paula may i call you that oh no not yet but you know i love you he insisted i can give a shrewd guess she said slyly and shall i love you always if you wish to and will you love me paula did not reply will you paula he repeated you may love me but don't you love me in return i love you to love me won't you say anything more explicit not a single word somerset emitted half a sigh he wished he had been more demonstrative yet felt that this passive way of assenting was as much as he could hope for had there been anything cold in her passivity he might have felt repressed but her stillness suggested the stillness of motion imperceptible from its intensity we must go in said she the rain is almost over and there is no longer any excuse for this somerset bent his lips towards hers no said the fair puritan decisively why not he asked nobody ever has but expostulated somerset to everything there is a season and the season for this is not just now she answered walking away Four yes this instance like all the others is imperfect and inadequate to the message it is meant to bear in my criticism and i have to blame myself for letting a subordinate book so largely represent the very great and singular artist i have attempted to deal with he has reached the height of his power i think in his tremendous novel jude the obscure where fate so humorous and at the worst ironical in so many of his stories turns luridly tragical no greater and truer book has been written in our time or any and yet jude if it were to be quoted from significantly is not to be quoted from in this company at all without risk to the critic of sharing the misunderstanding which befell the author it may be safely said however or at any rate it shall be ventured that in jude and in the morbid half-crazed endeavour of the heroine to atone by her own sacrifice for the cursed spite of conditions the novelist makes an offering at the shrine of the womanly which ought to appease that deity if ever it has been offended by a sense of slight or mocking in his adoration it is not a book which could harm innocence evil itself cannot harm innocence but certainly it is not a book for inexperience for experience however it is full of wisdom and for the heart and mind open to the fearful implications of such a history and temperament as sue broadheads it has problems of tremendous appeal it would be worthy the study of experience if for nothing else than as the work of a talent there 
eventuating in its ultimate seriousness end of section thirty three